Hello, hello. Welcome to Red Voices. Pleasure to have you with us for this week's episode. You and Lennox and Paul gunning on hand for something a little different this week, taking a look at Manchester United's foes and past history. So we thought we'd start off strong with Chosen City. Time to take a look back at one of the more engrossing rivalries in United's modern history. But first, Paul, how are we? I'm very well, thank you, you and yeah, I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, can't complain too much. Drumming our way through week by week. Um, apparently getting ever closer to the day where football might actually be back in our lives which still feels a weird thing to say at the moment doesn't it it does really yeah um personally i can't i can't see how they're going to do it you know we're bringing social distancing and whatnot obviously it's a contact sport and from what i've read there's quite a lot of players who are understandably reluctant to start playing again um through fear of Mm. catching the virus themselves passing it on to their family how they're going to do this I really don't know I mean you can play it behind closed doors but then that's obviously a, a not ideal and still the players are coming into contact with each other so yeah really I mean I wouldn't like to be making the decisions myself and obviously there's there's a lot of money being lost at the moment not just the football team football clubs themselves but sponsors and and you know businesses who rely on match days and all that sort of thing so mm. Yeah, it's tough, and I know they want they do want to obviously finish this season, but I mean I'm I'm not even a hundred percent sure they're going to be able to play a normal season next season. Because no, we just don't no, know what's no. going to happen with this virus, do we? So, no, yeah, really, really, really tricky. Yeah, I mean, I think next season is going to be severely affected, regardless. So it has to be, doesn't it? Yeah, I think what. UEFA and certainly the Premier League are minded to do is try and finish as many seasons and obviously the Premier League wants to finish off and that seems to be the will of the teams currently in the top flight to try and get the season done as best as possible obviously there are some exceptions to that which are surprisingly enough the teams towards the bottom of said table yeah Um, but I think it makes the um, the notion of having to cobble together the 2020-2021 season a lot easier if you've already got final decisions made on this current campaign that we're still going through but yeah. I mean, th- I'm talking about semantics of a discussion that, to me, I don't really think we should be having now. And I get why clubs are worried about yeah. their financial health and their ability to exist in regards to the fact that they're obviously not making any money at the moment because they're not playing games, they're not getting any gate receipts in, and their sponsorship mm-hmm. deals are threatened. But it's a pandemic. It just, in some ways, it's very easy for me to say that as a fan of one of the richest clubs in the world. Because yeah. ultimately, United have got enough of a buffer financially that they're not going to be too affected if football doesn't start again for another three to four months. They will obviously every club's hit to a certain extent, but United are able to be a bit safer than others. Yeah, but still, it, it just feels like because there's so much money, and we always come back to this idea of money, don't we? In the sense that there's mm. so much many finances tied up into the sport of football, and especially the Premier League in this country, and it's leagues like. La Liga and the Premier League who are pushing hardest to re-jig the season and restart it as soon as possible whereas the likes of Liga and the Eredivisie have said no it's not worth it so we're not going to yeah it's a really really difficult thing I mean I can't I, I can't imagine I was t- chatting to my dad about this and my dad's um, <clears throat> 70 this year and he was saying even if, if the season does resume somehow um, and even going into next season he can't see A he might not be allowed to go and B, he probably wouldn't want to go, you know, because obviously until we, there's a vaccine, no one's going to really, really feel that safe. And I don't see how you can socially distance in a football stadium. I mean, obviously, you can allow it, yeah, it's just not possible. And how, and, and then even then, how do you, even if you let in fewer people, how do you police it? I mean, it's just, I just, I can't see it. I don't, I can't see how they're going to do it. So, um, I guess, <laughs> It, it, there's so many unknowns at the moment about mm. this virus, how long it's, you know, if there's going to be a second wave, how long that will last, if there's going to be further lockdowns, that, yeah, I, I, I honestly cannot see how they're going to do, how they're going to do it at all. And, and I'd like no, to say no. that I think that the, 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 the point I made earlier about the players being scared is quite a big one, really. Oh, it's huge. I mean, player welfare yeah. should, and player welfare Coach welfare, anyone connected to the club's welfare should be paramount in everyone's thinking at the minute. Absolutely. And it's difficult to know where priorities actually lie at the moment because Mm. I think it was, what was it, Gary Neville saying on Sky Sports this week, how many people are going to have to die for the Premier League to take this seriously? And I get that obviously there's some uh, government pressure and 
public pressure to get football back up and running because it's a huge distraction it is escapism yeah. and i you know i feel it too you know we all want it back but we all want it back when it's safe surely yeah it's it's even if one person even if one footballer dies it's not worth it yeah or, or remember if a footballer's family i mean you know hmm. can you can you imagine if if a, if a football i mean because obviously people say oh well you know these guys what they're whinging about they're fit they're young blah 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 but it's beside the point because you know they've still got families they've still got loved ones you know and 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 also it's pretty indiscriminate yes it, it's obviously more more vulnerable people and older people who are dying from it but young people are dropping dead as well you know, young, fit people have died from this. So, yeah, I think it's completely understandable that, that some players are extremely reluctant to start working again. As they should be. I mean, if I was in that position, I would be very, I would be incredibly cautious to make sure that the proper care and attention is being put in to make sure that the players are as safe as can possibly be. But, I, I'm, you know, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's where we're at now. We'll pick it up if there's any further information. I mean, I did find myself wildly thinking about what it would be like to play Spurs. And then I started doing a mental preview of that. And obviously, we probably really shouldn't be thinking that far ahead. Anyway, yeah. just, just, just before we get onto the good stuff, talking about City, how have you actually found life without football? You know, obviously, as a season ticket holder, it's mm. changed your life more than it has mine. As I watch... The primary, the primary of the games from my sofa or the pub. So, how's it been for you? It's been. I just think this whole this whole experience has been so surreal. As it became more and more clear how serious things were, I, I guess in like I sort of just mentally put football on the back burner. Mm. It just it's not that it, it's not that it doesn't seem important because football is important. I think it's hugely important to, to not just for financial reasons for all those businesses we talked about earlier, but for people's well-being, togetherness. I mean, it's, that's where I go with my dad and my brother. I miss it. I miss it a hell of a lot. But at the same time, I suppose it does feel a bit trivial almost to, to think about it too much. Football will be back at some point. It's, it's weird feeling not football not being there, but then everything's so weird at the moment that it's just one more weird thing for me, really. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think it's sort of, how I'd realised in the last couple of well, once it stopped, I realised how much I actually valued the schedule of football. You know, from a mental yeah. health perspective, I really appreciated knowing when I was going to be sat in front of a game, and then I knew I was going to be talking about it with either you or Rich at some stage. And that's yeah. that's from a mental perspective actually been quite valuable for me. You know, it's nice to know that I've got those couple hours each week where I'm sitting down in front of a TV to watch the game, either on my own or with someone else. And it's having that structure and that schedule in place has actually been quite valuable. And I imagine a lot of people who don't go to the games are feeling the same way. And I guess, you know, I'm, I haven't been going to games for a little while, but I always knew that when I was there, I was always guaranteed to meet up with a friend. And I've, that sort of, I can imagine for a lot of season ticket holders and regular match day goers, it's, it's a huge strain to not have that social interaction and that routine of seeing people that you either sit near, if you're in the same block or wherever. Yeah. It, it just and it's an escape as well. Away. Yeah, it's escapism. It's an it? escape yeah. from reality. It's, um, it's, you know, it's a form of relaxation, almost like you say, it's a, it's a social thing. So it's a huge part of people's lives, and anyone who sort of demeans it and belittles it by saying, "Oh, you know, it's only a game," well, you know, yes, it is only a game, you know, but it's it's a lot more than that to to people. It's been part of, part of our lives, all our lives, and like I say, you know, my relationship with my dad is massively tied up in football, um, mm. and with my brother as well, you know, and and obviously wouldn't be seeing them now anyway, but. You know, it is. It, it's a, it's a big void for for a lot of people, I think. And you know, I think we all can't wait for, for for things to get back to get back to normal. Speaking of things going back to normal, should we actually get on with the football chat for this evening? Yeah, let's do it. Right, Manchester City, Paul. Now, uh, mm-hmm. you being an unspecific number of years older than I do, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you've got a a slightly different view of the whole sort of United City dynamic. So, yeah. cast your mind back to your sort of earliest memories. What sticks out in your mind is the sort of the, the relationship between United and City. So this would be around sort of the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. For me, I always loved football, play, but mainly playing it. And it was really Italian 90 that kind of set fire to my love of football, of what actually watching football. So prior to 1990, all I would really do was my dad would tell me the scores and I'd do a bit of a fist pump and that would be that. I, I wasn't, I didn't really follow football particularly during those years 
So it was really the 90s, and, and in the 90s, United were just utterly dominant. Just before, like, just right towards the end of the 80s, I think it was the 89-90 season, City beat us 5-1 at Main Road. And I remember that. I remember my dad telling me about that. And I didn't really understand the gravity of it. But the 5-1 was all my City sporting mates, and there were a lot of those at my school and stuff. It's all they ever talked about for years. And it turned out... <laughs> To be their last win against us, I think about thirteen. I don't think they beat us in the nineties, did they? So it was about thirteen. They didn't years beat us once in the nineteen nineties. No, I mean they got relegated for some of it, but still, I mean, my word. And yet they still they were still dying out on it. Even when you know it would be like, oh, we've just won the title. Yeah, but we charged you five one in eighty nine. So it was kind of. <laughs> I mean, it must have been grim for them. You know, let's face it. Just that period when United were just winning everything from ninety two to ninety three onwards i mean um, like considering the way the last seven years have gone i, I yeah. don't think considering the way that we have been going on about small victories over to clubs that have done immeasurably better than we have i don't yeah. think we can really you know absolutely can, not that's no, no it, horses here no. it's it's not absolutely not i'm just this yeah. is just my experience from back then <laughs> yeah. and you know i mean there's a kid and what and then, and then a teenager I was pretty arrogant about it and, you know, obviously took the mickey out of them. And and obviously, like you say, their fixture against us was the be-all be and end-all for, for their season, really. Mm. So to have to gone the entire decade without a win against us must have really, really hurt. And then to watch us win the treble at the end of it. And I think, didn't we win the treble like just after they'd got promoted back to the first, the league, the championship? I can't remember. It would have been like that. So we even even stole their thunder on that occasion. I actually think it might have been relegation that season for them. Because we didn't play them again until the 18th of November in 2000. But yeah, I mean, did you go to any of the derbies during that 90s period? Yeah, I did, yeah. The the, the one that really stands out for me was probably, I think it was 93. I remember watching the the away game. We beat them twice and, and they were both fantastic games. Um, I remember watching the away match on TV when Quinn scored two goals, went 2-0 up, and then Eric Cantona just stole the show. I think mm-hmm. he scored two goals, you know, beautiful finishes, uh, and then Keane scored the winner, and, and, and you know what I, how much I love for Keane. And it was just this classic United under Fergie coming out after half-time and just absolutely ramping it up, being utterly ruthless. And then the one... It wasn't my first live derby, but it was it was the one that really stands out in my early early days as a season ticket holder. And it was the ninety four ninety five one where we beat the five 0 at, at Old Trafford. Uh, and, again, yes. and it was the Cantona and Kanchelski show. Kanchelski's got a, a hat trick. Cantona scored one, I think. Um, and Kanchelski was just rampant, absolutely. And he, he was a fantastic player. Kanchelski's, I think Hughes scored one as well. So that was the one, and it was that amazing early Fergie team with Bruce and Pallister at the back and Irwin and I think Paul Parker, Schmeichel and then like Ince and Keane and the two wingers, Giggs and Kanchelskis were just unbelievable. I've got loads of memories of the 90s but then I think they they got relegated in the mid-90s City so they were a bit of an afterthought, they were a bit of a comedy club, they they had nothing going for them, they were yo-yoing between the leagues, a bit ramshackle, you know, they even had rubbish kits, rubbish sponsors (laughs) like Kappa and... You Brother. know what I mean? And, you know, this is all while United establishing themselves as just this dominant force on the pitch and off the pitch. We had a, a, a glut of just supremely talented players throughout that period. And they had, like, Georgie Kinkatsi and Sean Gota. And they had some good players, but, you know, they were just... The rivalry between us and them, for me, was, was certainly during that period, was never nothing like the one with us and, and Liverpool. And it was only really... Obviously, when they got taken over in the last decade, that that things really started to ramp up. Yeah, I mean, it, um, I'm sure you know Rob Pollard. He's a mate of a. Uh, I do, ours, yeah. Both friend of ours who used to do some writing for uh, Bleacher Report and was also a member of the Typical City podcast, and now actually works for City. Uh, I remember him talking to uh, the podcast formerly known as the Rankcast and mentioning that he was brought up never to expect anything from the derby, and this was in the era where City were winning a lot of them. But you're completely correct in terms of that that decade and that period up until the takeover, sort of the 90s and the 2000s, where it's a funny thing to consider now because a lot of more modern United fans would perhaps view the derby as being City, this team, you know, this rivalry. Yeah. Whereas for a lot of us growing up in the late 80s, early 90s and then supporting the club through the 90s, despite the fact that Liverpool were never really, especially in that era, the team to beat, 
up until no. sort of the early 90s, that was still the game, wasn't it? That was very much still the rivalry. Even though they weren't really competing with us for anything. Yeah, it was, yeah. City were just, like, they were like a, a fly. We just, you know, I would just swap them aside. Mm. Whereas Liverpool, obviously, they did have better players than City. And it was just a much fiercer rivalry. It's almost <laughs> like, it's like two different clubs, really. You've got the, yeah. the City of then and the City of now. It's it, the, the worlds apart, completely mm. unrecognisable. Yeah, before we get to the city of now, uh, because that's when things start to take a turn, uh, I think the first game I can ever remember watching was uh, the 2-1 in the FA Cup. Uwe Rossler getting the first one. And then I think it was a Cantona penalty. It was. It was quite Lee controversial, Shot. wasn't it? Yeah, it was a tight one, that one. It was a pretty yeah. horrible game. And at first, in the, going through that first half, you thought, oh, actually, City going to do this. And this would be horrific if they did, because that was our second yeah. double season in the 90s. That was the first one that really pops out. I mean, there are, as you mentioned, that uh, that 2-3 over at the Old Main Road Stadium back in yeah. uh, 93, when Cantona turned it on. And then oh, their promotion back. Yeah, abs- oh, yeah, I mean, do you really need me to agree with that? <laughs> I mean, you can do. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with it, am I? I mean, if no. disagreeing that Eric Cantona was a good football player for Manchester United is the <laughs> stupidest thing any United fan can actually do. But yeah, I mean, it was back in 2000, the 2000-2001 season where City actually got promoted back to the Premier League. And yeah. uh, we beat them in main, at Main Road with a 1-0 victory. And let's have a look who we scored did. the goal on that day. It was a Beckham free kick, was it? And then... I think it's around the middle part of the decade where some really interesting results start to come through. There was, of course, that really awful uh, 4-1 defeat in the league in 2004 over at Main yeah. Road. And then 3-1 at Eastlands, I think, in the Premier League, in the Premier League as well, which is horrible. That was where Patrice Evra and Vidic got schooled, having just arrived at United that month in the January transfer window of 2006. They were awful, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, that was horrific. And then, the at the time, the weirdest of all things, which was our last sort of gigantic season as a club when we won the Premier League and the Champions League 2007-2008 season, where we lost both home and away against them. I remember that start to the season. God, it was absolutely awful. We didn't win until our fourth game of the year. And City beat us 1-0 with a Giovanni goal over at the what was originally Eastlands. And then in the uh, 40th anniversary of the Munich Air Disaster game, we got beaten 1-0 in what was a very, sorry, 2-1, beg your pardon. Yeah, a very difficult. Yeah, I mean, that must have been a really interesting game, a very difficult game to manage emotionally, really. It was incredibly emotional. It really was. I mean, I was there. There have been a few emotional times at Old Trafford. One was when um, Sir Matt Busby died. Um, and there were, I, I was very young at the time. I, I can't remember who we were playing. I think it might have been Everton. And they, those like bagpipes came down the tunnel, and so that was really emotional. But yeah, the, the Munich one. They, obviously, they put all the scars out on the on the seats. And to be fair to City fans, they were they, they respected the minute silence impeccably, and they all held their scars a lot. And it was just, I think, the emotion just absolutely overcame the United players as well. Um, it was a very subdued atmosphere. Never really got going, and United didn't really turn up, and just one of those games, really. I mean, it was that summer after we won in Moscow, I believe it was that City actually got took, taken over by their current managers <laughs> now, was, the IBW yeah. Group. Yeah, sorry, their current owners now, the IBW Group. Sheikh Mansour taking over, and their first task was essentially to try and buy as many players as was humanly possible. Tried to pip us to the post yeah. with Dimitar Berbatov, but he chose United. And ended up with Rubinho, which was a massive transfer at the time. That was from Real Madrid, wasn't it? It was huge. I mean, suddenly the picture had changed, didn't it, really, when they mm. took over. You know, for the first time ever, they represented a bit of a threat. And you're right, you know, they were throwing loads of money at all these different players. And even, the, you know, and there was the Tebas billboard, Welcome to Manchester on Dean's Gate. And it was all still a bit kind of, I don't know. Small time? Um, small time. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, but you also knew we'd all we'd seen what happened with Chelsea when Roman Abramovich took over, and you just knew that the, the sheer amount of money at their disposal was frightening. And I mean, from the perspective of United fans, I mean, if we had been in City shadow for decades on end and had yeah. been relegated, would I have really turned my nose up at the Welcome to Manchester banner? Had no, we pinched Carlos Te- Carlos Tevez from City. I don't think I would. No, absolutely, and and. 
I don't think I would either. I mean, there, there were, I did actually have mates, city sporting mates, who weren't, I wouldn't say they weren't happy about it, but they were a bit uneasy about it, just because, you know, they, they'd been accusing United of, of buying um, success for years. And so it was kind of like, well, even if we do win, win anything, they're just going to throw that at us. But I mean, you know, like, like you say, after all our dominance, it must have been... <clears throat> Such an amazing feeling for them, but yeah, that was that was the, the Tevez billboard. That was what when Ferg came up with the noise and neighbours tag. Yeah, if you remember, small club with a small mentality. He said, <laughs> "Well, Which is I mean, just that... classic Fergie, isn't it?" I mean, let's be honest. Ferguson was very good at riling people up, and yeah. he was clearly a little bit concerned about the fact that City had a bottomless pit of money to play with. And whilst it took a couple Yeah, yeah. And whilst it took a couple of seasons for them to be a genuine threat in terms of actually going for titles and trophies, you know, it didn't happen until two thousand and eleven. You couldn't help but notice that there was a potential shift in power on the horizon. Yeah. You know, and there's several different things that come into it, especially with this takeover. I mean but I think one of the big notices of a shifting of power was Tevez making that move, wasn't it? And it obviously was. there was the complicated issue of his contract. And obviously at that stage, from Tevez's perspective, Berbatov had been brought in the season before and had yeah. sort of usurped him as de facto starting striker alongside Rooney. So I can imagine he felt a little bit perturbed about the fact that, you know, where was his place in the United setup at this time? You know, he'd been kind of pushed aside to a certain extent. And uh, but don't get me wrong. When we heard that Tevez was going to be heading off to City, that was number one a massive disappointment. Number two, a bit of a shock, and number three, really annoying. Yeah, it was a real coup for them, wasn't it, against Tevez? Yeah, um, because I loved only, Tevez in United. He was so. a fantastic player, and, and I think a lot of United fans were dis- disappointed to see him go. Obviously, it's disappointed to see him go to City, but so yeah, it was a massive coup because not only they got a great player, but. They'd also managed to rub United's faces in it as well at the, exact, at the same time. And yeah, it definitely rattled United's fans and Fergie. And, you know, that there were just these signs. And, and then obviously like off the pitch over the next few years, United, uh, sorry, City really overtook United in a way in terms of their sort of forward planning and whatnot. But you always felt with Fergie at the hell we'd be okay. But yeah, it was, it was scary. Now, just that, to have a bottomless pit of money... Hmm. It was there was almost an inevitability about them eventually succeeding. You know, Fergie was just fighting back this impossible tide, really, and Fergie was able to do that just about, obviously, until twenty thirteen. But you know, it was always going to come with that kind hmm. of money, and and these guys obviously were very very serious about it as well. And, you know, that sort of instant flush of sort of throwing the money about didn't get them anywhere really. So you know, in the end. They, uh, they 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 got their act together and yeah, it was always going to happen. Well, it didn't take long for them to get their act together. Yes, they spent no. that money on Tevez, but they were also buying players like Rocky Santa Cruz from Blackburn Rovers when Mark yeah. Hughes was taking over and was City's manager for that first season. Sorry, second season, I guess you could say, and with the money, you know, Rubinho. They at just that went point, mad, didn't they? Already gone. Yeah, yeah, they went insane. They went mental. <laughs> oh, blind. Let's have a look. They brought Phillips. Uh, Sean Mark Phillips, yep. Uh, Stephen Arnold came through the ranks. Nigel De Jong, Colo Torre, uh, obviously Tevez as well. Paolo Zabaleta, yeah. There's all sorts of random players in there. All sorts. I mean, some of them did come good. I mean, you know, and then Aguero as well. You remember that Aguero, no value in the market. They bought Aguero, and it was they got them. They got them Aguero pretty cheap, from what I remember. Yeah, from Atletico and that was Madrid, with Fergie, yeah. so there's no value in the market. We're all thinking. Well, <laughs> Second. <laughs> yeah, but Fergie was very good at distracting us with those things, though, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, side note, going back to Tevez, I've just remembered as well that he was uh, a bit surprised by the reception he was afforded by the United fans. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I just wondered about this because obviously he's from Argentina and he used to play for Boca. And he knows the rivalry between them and River Plate is huge and toxic. Maybe just because he hadn't seen such uh, ferocity from the Manchester derby, he thought, oh, this will be all right. No one will care. But yeah, yeah, it I did. think that must I have mean, been it because yeah, it, it did. It did take on a, a, a whole new sort of atmosphere completely once they bought Tevez and now they had all this money to throw around. Yeah, it became a lot more serious, a lot more not violent, but a lot more vicious and and sort of visceral. It was, I mean, some of the atmospheres 
that um, second leg of the League Cup at Old Trafford is is one atmosphere that really stands out in my entire mm. time. Yeah, yeah, thirty years watching United. I mean, you were there yourself. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, before we get there, were you there for the four three in the league? No, I wasn't. I was actually my brother took the ticket, so I watched that in a, a city mate's garden <laughs> um, in the sunshine, <laughs> and it was. What a ridiculous <laughs> match that was. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that was amazing. I mean, that sticks yeah. out in my mind, not only for being one of the most entertaining games of the Premier League era, it was one of the most fun slash maddening Manchester derbies I think we'll ever see. Yeah. But I was in a pub in Derby watching it, and a friend of mine who sports Villa had bought his City supporting mate with him. And United had a lot of really close chances in that second half, and obviously, you know, yeah. When you when you know this is a generally this is a, an accepted thing that you do in football, right? When your team has a chance that goes quite close, you put your hand, head on your hands and you go, "Ah, oh, that was close." Yeah, absolutely. And he was giving me so much shit throughout the entirety of that second half as the game wore on. So Rooney what? scoring, and then Gareth Barry equalising. Uh, yeah. Darren Fletcher with two headers in the second half, and then Craig Bellamy with two equalizers, including Bellamy that was unplayable that day, wasn't he? Awful, yeah, Craig. Horrible little Bellamy. man. <laughs> yeah, even as a Welshman, I would like to disown him. <laughs> but the, the the best bit, obviously, apart from the fact that we won the game, was when Michael Owen, Michael bloody Owen of all Michael people, Owen, I know. our number seven at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, time, you cruel mistress. I mean, that goal, number one, was amazing. Number was two, fantastic. he literally shook his head and walked out as I was running towards him. That was fantastic. Oh, really? That was Yes, that was very enjoyable. Oh, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? Like, it couldn't have been any more last... It was, the, the, wasn't it like seven minutes of injury time or something? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean... They're... absolutely ballistic about yes. it. Now, there were many so goals funny. and many substitutions in that second half. Sparky was not happy with that one. No, he was livid. And there's no. nothing wrong with making Sparky livid. Not anymore, no. no. He, I loved him as a player, but he's such a grumpy sod, isn't he? Yeah. Obviously, I, he, he hang on a minute. City as well. No, 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 hang on. He, I love him as a player, but he's a grumpy sod. You yeah, realise grumpy... your favourite player is Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he's not grumpy. He's just... Well, he is grumpy. I mean, he's morose. <laughs> yeah, but... I don't know. He didn't go and manage City, did he? So. I mean, that's true. Um... So yeah, that, that season in particular as well. So there we go. There's the 4-3. Uh, there are four games that season in the 0-9-10 season to go through. There was that uh, 2-1 defeat, I believe it was, over at Eastlands in the League Cup semi-final, which was... We went 1-0 up, didn't we? Skull scored and we went 1-0 up. No, it wasn't. It was it was Giggs. Valencia crossed to Giggsy and, and he tapped it in and we went 1-0 up. And... Tevez scored both. I completely forgot that. Yeah, Giggs scored the ours and then Tevez got, got two. One of them was a penalty, I think. And again, it was, you always felt at that time that there was going to be a shift in power and you, and you dreaded it. And any any victory over them, particularly when it was so close and, and, and all the sort of hatred towards Tevers and stuff was just so important. I mean, going into the second leg, some people might not remember this if you haven't been, you know, if you've only been watching United over the last decade or so, but there used to be a banner that hung on the Stretford end that ticked they over did. every year when City didn't win a trophy. It had to come down in 2011, but I think it stopped at about 35 years, if memory serves. It was always in between uh, the, the the two years, so as if, like you say, ticking. So basically, you know, I think it was, yeah, either 35 or 36 years, and you could see the next year coming up, so basically assuming City weren't going to win anything that season as well. It uh, divided opinion. Um, United fans loved it, City fans hated it. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I'm all right with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was a sad day when that came down. I mean, again, it must have been bloody, like, so it just must have been so irritating to go there and see that. But as a City fan, but who cares? I mean, that, that, I mean, that's kind of the point, isn't it? A football fan to be point. annoying to each other. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The, the return leg, the second leg. Oh, my God, it was unbelievable. It was what what I imagine the Colosseum in Rome to have been like during the Roman Empire when the gladiators were fighting. You know, just that kind of utter anarchy in the stands. It was a different night that night. And I think United fans were sensing at this point that there was some substance, even though City didn't properly have it together yet. And I know that was the that was around that time that Sparky had actually been fired and Roberto Mancini had taken over. Yeah, that's they right. They got a serious manager, a lot of money to play with. And even though Rubinho was still there, 
they were elements, especially with Tevez and a couple of the signings, that they were starting to put something useful together. And yeah. especially having beaten us at Eastlands the previous week, there was definitely a feeling like there was potentially a shift in power in the air. And we didn't like it at all. It was uncomfortable. And it was a really, really tense night. It was still... The atmosphere was amazing. It was electric that night. But mm. it was still worry wasn't it and it was a really tense edgy first half if i remember correctly it wasn't it was, a lot it was excitement it tinged with real sort of fear wasn't it you know i don't know it was like being being you know in a castle and, and city you could hear the the cries of the approaching army sort of thing and you knew, you knew they were coming <laughs> you knew they were coming. are getting so much more acerbic <laughs> you know what it was though I, me- I remember it so well and obviously there was the rooney situation as well where he flirted with City, didn't he? And mm, the following. I can't remember when was that. Was that 2010? That was the following season. So this was season, Rooney yeah. in his absolute pomp. This was the year after yeah, Ronaldo was right. left, and Rooney had his best individual season. Ever. Yeah. Oh, it was so good, wasn't it? And it kicked off. So yeah. good. So it was two one down in uh, on aggregate. Paul Scholes on 52 minutes. Uh, Michael Carrick got the second to put us three uh, two up on aggregate. And then, of course, Tevez in front of the old East stand, which is roughly where I was sat, um, scoring with a flicked equaliser with the outside of his boot, I think it was, past Van der Sar. And then, obviously, Craig Bellamy getting pelted with a coin, which I didn't feel very happy with. But lots of other people around me were. No, I'm sure, yeah. But then, to stop us going to extra time, because I think it was 3-3 in aggregate at that point, I think it was Giggs with the cross and Rooney left with a free header two metres out from goal, just powers it past Shea Given. As you said there, you, you've you've been going to watch United for longer than I have and have been to far more matches than I have. I don't think I have felt a better atmosphere than that night and the relief and the elation. Because it, it just, honestly, I mean, I used this uh, description at the time. It was like winning the World Cup, wasn't it? Just just stopping City, as small time as that sounds now, yeah. stopping City from becoming yeah. good at that point was massive. Mm. It was relief. And it was the fact that we'd been given the chance to stop them. Mm. And we'd sort of fluffed our lines in the first leg a bit. And then we left it so late. And, I, you know, no one wanted to go to extra time. I mean, just because of the tension, apart from anything mm. else, and the nervous energy, you know, as a fan watching it. Um, mm. And obviously, an extra time can go either way and... So yeah, just and the fact that it was Rooney and like you say he was having a fantastic season and 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 then just put it to bed and again putting off the inevitable a bit, but at the, at the time, who cares? No, exactly. Why not? And then to end off that season, our third late <laughs> injury time winner, uh, with Paul Skulls heading in at the Eastlands after a pretty forgettable ninety minutes of football, just about kept the title alive at that point. Yeah, I mean, I I literally can't remember anything about that game. That's how forgettable it was, apart from the goal. No, exactly. I can't remember anything else about <laughs> it. I remember, I remember ever across the, across the ball and then Skulls put a header on it and that's it. That's it. It's like, that's as if, that's as if that's the only thing that happened. Cause it, it is, it is the only thing that happened. It's a turgid match. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we're not covering that for any of these retro lookbacks because why the hell would we do that? Absolutely. That's the extent of our analysis for that game. Right, time for a quick break and a chance to mention that this week's episode is brought to you in association with the Pitch Sports app, which can be downloaded from the Apple and Google Play stores. You can join in with both Football Manager and FIFA 2000 simulations of games that are currently suspended, challenge your mates and compare your starting 11s. So you get on, it's a great little way to pass the time at the moment. So that's Pitch Sports on the Apple and Google Play stores. (laughs) Yeah, it was the following seasons you mentioned there when Rooney uh, was starting to get a little bit concern and I guess you know side note it's an interesting thing now hearing and thinking about Rooney's comments yeah because at the time you did sort of wonder what his motivation for it was and whether or not a new contract (laughs) was basically going to shut him up and he had some very valid concerns about where United were going and whilst it might not have been the best way to air them you know you're looking at how things have gone under the Glazers and progressed under the Glazers in those following years and the fact that we received what 80 million quid (laughs) for Cristiano Ronaldo and bought yeah. Gabriel Obertan and Antonio Valencia. It's no wonder he was concerned. And obviously flirting with, potentially flirting with City. I know a lot of that was perhaps hyped up to a little bit to a certain extent. And also maybe that was driven a little bit by his agent, knowing full well that United would not want the PR disaster of their talisman in the post-Ronaldo landscape going over to City. But yeah, I mean, whilst he might have gone about it the wrong way, he kind of had a point. He did go about it the wrong way. Well, then again, I suppose he... If he was just after a contract, then he got exactly what he wanted. You know, he would maybe say, I didn't go about it the wrong way. 
But I think from a fan's point of view, it was it was a horrible experience. And I mean, it, it was it, in a way it was like pure theatre. That that press conference with Fergie. I mean, he was, I've never seen anything like it. I stopped what I was doing. I cut and just I had to watch it. I had to, I had to well I listened to it and then I watched it later on because it was like theatre. It was unbelievable. I'd never seen I'd never seen or heard Fergie like that. It was as if he'd been sort of personally affronted. Almost like it, like by his son or whatever. It was like a personal insult to him. I mean, I despised Rooney after that for quite a long time. And it's only really sort of the last couple of years of his of his United career when he wasn't very, like, a particularly good player anymore. I sort of forgave him. It sounds ridiculous. I feel ridiculous saying the word forgave, you know, to, to forgive him for what he did. But it was at the time I was absolutely livid with him because really? of the City yeah. connection. I mean, he was a fantastic player for us. Absolutely incredible player for us. But he was absolutely right about the Glazers. And he was right about United's ambition. And as soon as Fergie left, of course, it was like a plug had been pulled. Mm, and everything yeah. just came tumbling down. And I suppose you could say he was sort of prescient about it, really. Yeah, I mean... It's difficult to look at the way that the rivalry has changed and the landscape has shifted since Ferguson's retirement to come away with any other thought, really, is it? You know, it, it was, you know, going back to, you know, talking about Ferguson in general, you look at how well he did when it, he was actually coming up against a proper foe. And it's at this point when City turn into his last great challenge. You know, you look at the way that he saw off, you know, Blackburn wasn't even a test. He saw off Kevin Keegan after that 15-point gap or whatever in 95-96. Saw off Wenger. Saw off Mourinho, saw off one season of Ancelotti and won uh, the Premier League and the League Cup the following season, I think it was. And this was Mancini with City, backed by, you know, the Abu Dhabi Millions, buying players like Edin Dzeko, Vincent Company, David Silva, Sergio Aguero. And it's yeah, yeah, totally. 20, yeah, 2010, 2011, this is where they start to, quote-unquote, get good. And, you know, it was a nil-nil draw in the league, followed by Rooney's... Best ever goal in United shirt. No, that I mean, was sublime, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, this was at this point. City were in with a shout of the league title. They were at least doing quite yeah. well. And United were having a very weird season. They were absolutely dominant at home, but couldn't buy a victory away for love nor money that year. It was so yeah. strange. Again, you were at that game, weren't you? Was that yeah. that was the one? And Nani scored a really, really fantastic goal. He did indeed. It kind of just got completely forgotten about because. Rooney's was so much better, and again, it was one of those where just the, the it was again another really really tense affair, the whole thing, mm. and for the same reasons as the as the previous season, you know, there's just this, you know, huge tension, uh, huge sort of sense of impending doom, and then just this unbelievable finish, and loads of people said, oh no, he shouldn't it, well, I don't care even if he did shoot it, cares? Like- it was absolutely stunning, and it took the roof off. Ah, it was so good. And against Vincent Company as well, you know, it's one of the best defenders of his time. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And the thing was, thinking back to that game, I'll have to rewatch the highlights, but I couldn't see where the goal was coming from at that stage. It was out of absolutely nothing. And it wasn't even that good across for Nanny to begin with. No, it wasn't a great game. United didn't play that well from what I remember. Nope. And if, you know, it felt like, well, it could could go either way, but it's more likely just going to end a draw or whatever and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it just it absolutely took the roof off, and like you said, for the um, the winner in the in the season before in the League Cup second leg, it was a lot of it was just relief. You know, we can't let these guys win anything. We can't let these guys get good. You know, we've got to do everything in our power to stop them. And uh, yeah, unbelievable finish. Yeah, I mean, it didn't last that much longer, though, did it? Because it was two months later that they beat us in the semi-final at Wembley on uh, their way to their horrible. FA Cup. Skulls, God bless him. He's got carte blanche to do whatever he likes or ever he liked in United shirt, but that was not his finest hour. That red card really killed it. You know, Torre scoring just before the hour mark, and then they go on to beat Stoke in the final. Ugh. And it really, you know, it felt that that felt like the turning point. You knew, well, you knew that was going to be the turning point. Yeah, Torre was, yeah, he just ran the show and it really felt like a massive turning point that game. You know, not necessarily that one game didn't mean that they necessarily usurped us by any means, but it, I think it gave them so much belief going forwards, you know, and that that counts for a lot in football. Well, it did, didn't it? And then that goes into City winning the league, you know, becoming yeah. a proper contender. You know, there was four derbies that season, uh, starting off with that 
the last time the community shield was ever actually interesting that 3-2 win yeah when we were 2-0 down at half time and then nanny does a madness and we have an amazing time in the second half and then obviously in october of 2011 is the game that we still haven't properly avenged the 6-1 yeah. I don't know whether or not United will ever properly get close to a result like that in the modern age, but it's still, it's only similar to me for the game later on that season where we were playing for a draw and got beat yeah. 1-0 by a company header, which basically ceded the initiative in the title race to City. But yeah. every derby that season was just a pretty difficult affair to enjoy. Even the even the one where we won 3-2 at the at Eastlands in the cup when Skulls made his return and company got sent off early on. We went three 0 up and then conceded two. Every game was just filthy to watch. Yeah, it was horrible. And I mean that that six one I was there for that with my brother. You know, we, we made big mistakes in that game. We went way too gung ho trying to sort of get back into the match and left massive spaces at the back and but it was just terrifying. It almost felt like all our worst nightmares were being realised in front of our eyes. I remember turning to my brother at one point and he was just genuinely pale and mm. he says that I was the same like, I felt sick watching it it was not just because we were losing and losing so badly but because of who it was and what it represented well I mean there's only one game like that that is at least even vaguely similar and that was the 4-1 in 2008 2009 against Liverpool at Old Trafford yeah. and obviously that wasn't great and that was a pretty horrible result yeah but United were but able to turn it around this yeah, one, and you can almost first you get free results like that sometimes. Yeah. But this didn't but feel like a free result. One. It was, I mean, it was really when you look back. It must, it must, you know. But still, God, it was it was absolutely traumatic, genuinely traumatic. They scored three goals from ninety minutes onwards. We were three one down at that yeah. point after Johnny Everson had got sent off just after the halfway point, and that was the day of the why always why always me shirt the Balotelli. Yeah, of course. Well. Yeah, God, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. And obviously there was that horrible 1-0 defeat to the company header later on in the year that was, you know, billed as such a huge title decider because United had lost at Wigan. They'd done that 4-4 draw against Everton and the title was slipping away inexplicably. It was and then awful to lose that tactics, game. wasn't it? I mean, I guess, you know, before we before we get too, too stuck on that one, this goes back to what we were saying about Fergie in the sense that this was his last great challenge. So yeah. what did he do that season when we lost the the season on the Premier League on goal difference? He went out and bought RVP. Yeah, absolutely. That must, as a fan, losing the league in that way, obviously not just the last day of the season, but the last second, the last possible moment of the season. Um, again, It wasn't worth the that... money though. No value in the market. No, you know it was. It was. It was. And that was another traumatic experience. And I remember watching that in the pub with my my dad, watching the Sunderland match in the pub with my dad. And then before the smartphone era, I think, or I certainly didn't have a smartphone. I'm not sure you've got one now. No, <laughs> but yeah, I remember then trying to get the because um, I was in the pub and the, the TV went off and I was trying to get the score and everything. And I couldn't get any Wi-Fi and this, that, and the other. And we, we all thought we'd done it, didn't we? And then suddenly just this massive deflation, like being punched in the stomach. But you're absolutely right. So for us to feel like that, Fergie clearly felt pretty tra- traumatised himself. And But he knew exactly what he had to do. And it, that, Like you say, it was his last kind of big transfer and it worked supremely well. Well, it was his last throw of the dice, wasn't it? You know, yeah. I, I don't know whether or not, I can't remember if he actually decided if he was going to retire at the end of that season. I think he had... So- yeah, I mean, it was certainly clear when we played Real Madrid later on that year that he was, you know, he was done because of how massive his reaction was and how emotive it was when Nanny got sent off in that second leg at Old Trafford. But certainly, at least, even though we lost to them in the, the turn game at home later on that year, that 3-2 at the Etihad at that point, because City were doing so well, United still struggling and still giving up a lot of goals, but still coming up with some incredible games, like Van Persie scoring a hat-trick against Southampton, scoring goals for fun, falling behind most weeks, at least for that first half of the season. But it was at this point where I felt like we won the league. I think City lost their next two games after this. And then Van Persie with that wonderful deflected free kick, thanks to Sam Nasri being an absolute bellend. Right in front of our away fans. Yeah, I watched that. Um, It was um, in December, wasn't it? It was. My auntie and uncle arranged for like me and my dad and that side of the family and my sister and brother, everyone to go Christmas dinner with them, basically, on that day. 
not realising, obviously, that there was this derby match. I think it might have been switched to a different day for TV or whatever. Plastic. So we went. Absolutely and I, plastic I know, fan. but I had to... So we were sat around the table, and they, they served the food. And basically, as that match started, so I... By then, I did have a smartphone, and I watched it on my smartphone at the table, which is so rude, but I got away with it. Yeah, I've never it. done that And then I couldn't get... I got away with it, and then, obviously, when that goal went in, it was like, well, I've got to celebrate this, so... I blew my own cover. But yeah, what an unbelievable way to win that match. And you're right, I think that just completely derailed them. And by the time they came to Old Trafford and beat us, we'd pretty much won the league, hadn't we? We had, yeah. Yeah, that that was Ferguson's last great gift because at that point onwards, things take a bit of a turn. Uh, In the Moy season, I mean, say what you will about the Mourinho era. Say what you will about Van Gaal. I don't think I've ever seen a worse back-to-back showing in derbies from the modern United side than that season under Moyes. Oh my god, it was horrendous! Yeah, four-one at the Etihad, three-one, sorry, three-nil at home. We aspire to be City. It was just dirt, so awful and uninspired. We just overwhelmed. Yeah, it was he, he turned us from champions into like football's biggest joke overnight, didn't he, Moyes? Mm. And yeah, I think he set us back years as well. I mean, obviously the owners didn't help, and, and Edward Wood, and you know they've made terrible decision after terrible decision. Well, City's as we've mentioned, City's forward planning has been pretty brilliant. Really, was it two 0 three 0 Old Trafford? I can't remember. It was, it was three 0 three 0 wasn't it? And it was just shortly after. It was that period where we'd lost to Olympiacos. And we lost to Liverpool, and we lost to City, and they just schooled us. They were it was like men against boys, and you seen players like Rio Ferdinand and Patrice Ever just almost looking like they never played the game before. And oh god, it was it was that was another harrowing experience. It really, it was really grim. And City have really done this since that the takeover. They've, they've had some, they've, they've inflicted some really severe wounds on us. I think. Um, yeah, you yeah. know, they've given us a taste of our own medicine. I suppose after all our dominance for so long. Yeah, I mean, this was under the era of Pellegrini as well. And, you know, those games, the 3-0 at home and the 4-1 away. I mean, there was a certain balance redressed when the Van Gaal came in, in the sense that maybe City were still building up to something. You know, this is just a couple of years before uh, Guardiola takes charge. So in those Van Gaal years, we lost 1-0, in which uh, Smalling got sent off in the league, and then yeah. beat them 4-2 with that mad game at Old Trafford. Uh, yeah. Drew nil nil at home in 2015 October. You know, awful, awful game. But Terrible then the follow up later on that year was uh, United beating City one nil at the Etihad thanks to one Marcus Rashford, absolutely ruining Martin Demichelis's life and legs he just, he and just groin. Ended his career, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was and it was that that was his debut season, wasn't it? We were just thinking, is there anything this I can't do? Just his pace. I mean, he just straight say absolutely destroyed him. It was fantastic to watch. Yeah, and then it's 2016, which sort of sets us up nicely for the modern era, really, doesn't it? 2016 was the year where Mourinho takes over at Manchester United and Guardiola takes over at Manchester City. Pogba comes. Uh, you know, it's that first year where there's three derbies. Let's think. Uh, City beat us 2-1 uh, at Old Trafford. We beat them in the League Cup. And there's that rubbish nil-nil draw towards the end of the season, but City is still building ahead of that year, and we're yeah. we've got our own problems because we finished what sixth in the league, won the League Cup, and just scraped by through a, a very tetchy Europa League campaign and beat Ajax two 0 in the final. It was mad, wasn't it? Really, the, the, and this is where where the the sort of off pitch um, stuff comes in to, to, to a certain point. Where obviously City had been preparing for Pep Guardiola for for years. Yeah, the yeah. whole time really since they since they took over, they've been preparing the ground for him, buying the players he'd want, you know, building the training facilities he'd want, all that sort of thing. Whereas United were just kind of lurching from one guy to the next, like hoping for the best. And and when we when United signing bringing in Mourinho, almost felt like it was almost entirely an answer to them getting Guardiola. Because it was quite soon after Guardiola was announced for City that all the rumours about Mourinho started, and you mm. kind of think, "Well, God, these two again." You know, like he, there was a, there was a sort of hope and a, and a sense that maybe Mourinho would break Guardiola because that's Mourinho for you. But he just <laughs> didn't. He'd never laid a, a glove on him. Really, I know we beat him a couple of times, but we were so far behind. Even when we came second, we were so far behind. Yeah, I mean, 
you're right in terms of the sense that United's reaction for getting Guardiola was looking around thinking, right, we've just had two years of Van Gaal that's not gone particularly well. Who can we get to come in? Who's going to be a reaction? And in that, in the landscape at that time, it kind of had to be Mourinho, didn't it? But oh, it did, yeah. It laid the stark differences between the two clubs bare, very bare. Like, I mean, if you look at, if you go to the Etihad complex now, I mean... I went there for the uh, the women's derby at the start of this season, and I, you know, I, I, it doesn't. It's a pretty soulless sort of area and complex, but it is impressive. You know, they've got the campus is a really top notch facility. You know, they've it's got modern, a small stadium. Yeah, it's modern. It's up to date. Yeah, it's got some ridiculous. This is our city bollocks banners all around the place. And, you know, the formidables, you know, because apparently you can call the Community Shield a, a real trophy and <laughs> yeah, not yeah, get yeah. arrested. United were lurching from mistake to mistake and trying to find their own version of success. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting contrasting that with what we're building towards now, which seems to have something of a point, even if we do stumble with some frequency, especially over this last season. You can trust that with where we were now. I still understand why we went for Mourinho, but I think we knew eventually it wasn't going to end well. And that second season in particular, the first derby of the season where we lost 2-1, I think it was Otamendi in the second half after Rashford had equalised, we were so negative going into that game. You know, we, We talked a lot on this show about the problems that we faced that season with Mourinho losing Pogba a couple of months in and then reverting back to this incredibly negative defensive type and how much that cost us mentally and with results. We started great. We started it by scoring loads of goals and then it just fizzled out and Mourinho lost faith and trust in us. And it was only, I mean, at least it gave us that one moment, that one noisy neighbour moment where they were 2-0 up at the Etihad. Yeah. And the 3-2 comeback in that second half, which came out of absolutely nothing, nowhere, defied all logic and reason of what we knew of these two teams. Mourinho let his team loose and pulled Pogba around the show and got two goals. Alexis Sanchez played his best game ever in a United shirt, which is not difficult to do. <laughs> and then set up Chris Smalling for the winner on a plate, 3-2. Yeah. And then, of course, what do we do next week? We get beat by West Brom and give them the title anyway. Yeah. Although, you know, at least we didn't win it against us and... It was it was satisfying, and oh god, it's, isn't it sad that we're saying these sorts of things? It's we've become them in, in so many ways, but it felt so satisfying that they were all like celebrating at half time and stuff. And there, were, there were those YouTube things of um, like kids crying and stuff in the crowd, <laughs> city fans crying and stuff in the crowd, and that was hilarious. I mean, one thing that football has taught me repeatedly over the years, and especially since. Ferguson retired is to take your moments of joy where you can get them absolutely yeah Yeah. 100% and also one thing one of the things that's taught me is don't celebrate at half time no you know wait for the final whistle lads and then then you can celebrate all you like yeah you can be a twat after the final whistle yeah not after it's insane it's unbelievable but it happens people do it all the time it's unbelievable and we're gearing ourselves up for another rubbish season after that one, aren't we? Which is uh, Mourinho going into full-on meltdown uh, uh, yeah. and City sweeping everyone aside uh, domestically, yeah. thankfully, if not on the continent. Oh, they were. I mean, it was, what, 3-0 at the Etihad, 2-0 in Solskjaer's first game in charge of United in the derby. And it was just, it was too easy. It was like watching the yeah. years again. We were just was, overcome. We didn't have they any They were hundreds of miles away from us, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And it felt at that time, it felt like we're so far, so far away from them. How, mm. where do we even start rebuilding this? And obviously, you know, the following season, we've actually done brilliantly against them. Apart from that, the obvious one, the, the league, was it League Cup game? It was League It Cup was, game, yeah, the first leg at home. Yeah. Horrific. Yeah, I mean, but, those two games in the season before, Mourinho's last uh, couple of months in charge, that was all of City's planning reaching its apex. Yes, yeah. they got knocked out of the Champions League by Spurs in that incredible quarterfinal time, but this was everything they'd been planning for. All their players hitting top form or being at the peak of their powers, or at least close to them. People like Aguero, uh, David Silva was having another fantastic season. You had De Bruyne in there, you had Raheem Sterling knocking in goals for fun, and they were irresistible for the most part, and only Liverpool could lay a glove on them. And United, it was another year of lessons against City. It's one of those things where United have still taken their time to fully heed the warnings that they've been given, and City have dished out a lot of lessons to us over the last 10 years in particular, especially since 2013. 
And I think one of the interesting things when we talk about what we've seen this last season, obviously we played them four times. Yeah, we got beat very badly in one of those games, 3-1. But even though the tactics haven't been inspiring, at least the performances and the reaction and the spirit in the team is reaching a level that you can say, yeah, this is a team that is taking this fixture seriously again. You recognise them as as a United team when they play like that. Mm. You know, unlike under Moyes and sometimes under Mourinho or whatever, when we just went out with a whimper, we just, you know, we almost accepted defeat before we even went onto the pitch at times during those years. Under Solskjaer, yeah, they gave us a lesson at Old Trafford and I was there for that again with my brother. And, and it, I can remember looking at my brother in the first half of that match and he was pale again and we both, we didn't say it, but we both knew that we were thinking this could be another 6-1. Oh yeah, but, I mean, you weren't the only one. It was The only reason it wasn't worse is because City sat back. No, but then the reaction, like you say, the reaction, not in the second half and then obviously in the second leg, was absolutely fantastic. And they're a better yeah. team than us. They've got better players than us. They're, they're better drilled than us. Guardiola's been there longer than us, that you know, and all that stuff. You know, he's not having to repair years of neglect. Solskjaer is, and even then, you know, so we, we, you know, we can't go out there and play them at their own game. They are a better team than us, but what we can do is what you know, what we did do was go out and and show, like you say, loads of team spirit and aggression and determination and a bit of pride. And you know, I, th- I think you're right. I think United are going in the right di- were going in the right direction until before the season. Um, obviously was postponed yeah. and I don't feel like we're quite as far away from City as maybe we thought we were because I mean, they've got a bit of an ageing aging squad now. No one really knows what's going to happen with Pat Guardiola. There's this court court case hanging over them. You know, it, this season, although we, we, we're so far behind them in terms of points, it feels like that the gap has been bridged slightly at least. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. I and mean, I think that ban... And what that means for City going forward, obviously obviously that's got a huge asterisk next to it because we don't know what yeah. football is going to look like over the next two years, let alone the next five years. But it, it changes the dynamic quite substantially in terms of what City can accomplish because I do wonder how many players are going to want to stick around for a team that can certainly compete domestically but is still falling short in Europe and is not able to compete in the Champions League yeah and the fact that Guardiola has had such a pronounced dip this season in comparison with the highs of last year it's kind of unprecedented in his career you know it's not happened you know he had a wonderful trophy-laden time with Barcelona only really stopped by what Mourinho once I think it was and he didn't win. It was the only time he didn't win the Liga. He had it all his own way in the Bundesliga, and you know he's had the run of it pretty much when he's been in the Premier League. Obviously, City won that first year. They've won the subsequent two titles since then. But you know, obviously, Liverpool are on the scene now as well. I don't know what Guardiola does in this scenario. You know, I mean, if you keep throwing money at the problem, that seems to be the only plan. You know, they still are not a team with any real local identity. And it seems like, you know, from for Guardiola's perspective, the only way he's going to stay is a City invest massively heavily in the team. And that is an, another incredible point to consider now, considering that with what all the stuff that's happening with COVID-19 and how football and the transfer industry looks going forward, are City even going to have the money to be able to pay for that? And then combine that with the fact that they might be banned from transfers in the Champions League for the next two years anyway. Who can they bring in? Yeah, I mean, it's all completely up in the air for them, isn't it, really? and It's hilarious. Yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. And, and you know, I mean, I, I, you see a, it's a certain, certain City fans who seem to defend their owners to the hilt. I mean, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with that, but they're clearly not pleasant people. They've clearly, or maybe not clearly, but allegedly bent the rules certainly looks that way. You know, I don't think we needed this confirmation, really. We've all sort of known it for years. It seems yeah. pretty obvious. It seems fair enough, in a way, because the, these threats have not just appeared suddenly. Threats from UEFA haven't just appeared suddenly. They've been there for years. They, everyone knew the rules. Most clubs played by the rules. Any club that didn't play by the rules should be punished for it. But you're absolutely right. The dynamic at the club changes completely in 
And with Guardiola as well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you're absolutely right again. You know, he, he didn't. This is this is a whole new challenge for him. Will he stick around for it? Will he want? Will he? Does he got the fight for it? Does he want it? Who knows? And you know, there's there's other teams, other clubs, sort of on and their coattails a little bit, and then obviously mm. Liverpool are miles ahead of them. It's a tricky one. Well, I mean, you know, before we round off for the evening, I guess the interesting thing for Guardiola is whether he feels it's really worth sticking around for one to two seasons without a Champions League yeah. run. Because City have proven that they can compete domestically and win every trophy that's thrown at them. Obviously, Liverpool being there changes that. And it's up to him whether or not he wants to face up to that challenge. Because Klopp's building a great team. And I don't, you know, I still don't think Liverpool are quite at their peak yet and mm. it'll be interesting to see if he sticks around to kind of face the challenge of Klopp and Liverpool but where does he go if he leaves City you know I mean there's Italy? not a lot of other well maybe but you it's know, the only other you, country really isn't it that unless he went to Paris Saint-Germain which no, well, I mean, surely he won't do that why would you do I mean I guess you know he does have form for going to a very yeah. financially well-backed club with a lot of great players so you know there is that, but still, no. I mean, I think it will. It's going to be. There's so many unknowns coming into the Manchester Derby's dynamic going forward. Now, obviously, we don't have another fixture to worry about up until next season, whenever that is. Yeah. But I, I it's surprising to me that we've been able to get through the entirety of the season and see three victories by Solskjaer's United. And I do think that, whilst obviously the fan base is incredibly divided over what. Solskjaer can potentially bring and what his ceiling is and how far he can take United as manager whether or not he's going to have to move aside for someone else in us in, other, in order for us to get back onto the top of the footballing tree you can't deny that at least in those three games that we've beaten City this season some pride has been reinstated back in the side and some effort yeah. and some you know it sounds so trite doesn't it but at least some pride in the shirt and you know for a game at this for a, for a Manchester derby that is quite important to be fair it is it? yeah it, you know it is you're right it is a bit trite but it's also true and and for how you know for for those those years prior to this season so often we would we would, we would be find ourselves saying you know these guys aren't fit to wear the shirt you know we I found it for quite a while didn't really like the United squad, didn't really like the United players and now suddenly I quite like this team again. Uh, I like Solskjaer, obviously, you know, he's, he's a fantastic player for us. So yeah, I think things, I think things are going in the right direction but obviously this, the, the, the current pandemic is just a huge spanner in the works and obviously take, massively takes precedence at the moment so it's difficult really to sort of look too far into the future at the moment with regards to football I think because everything's so uncertain no of course I mean I'm looking forward I mean I guess it's maybe the wrong term obviously there's, a, there's far more different priorities than football but we're a football podcast so I guess we can talk about it absolutely I, I can't wait to see what happens next in this yeah. tale you know it, I'm sure it's going to be interesting whatever happens with City in terms of their European ban whoever United decide to bring in whether that's Jaden Sancho I mean I it all feels pretty pie in the sky, United going for a hundred million pound transfer after what's been happening in the world over yeah. the last few months. But how funny would it be if he came to United and did really well? That'd be great. <laughs> as a former city as a former city youth player, that would be wonderful. Would you want to do a welcome to Manchester billboard um, if he did? Welcome back to Manchester, I think it'd be quite fun. Uh, I mean would it be a bit like I suppose I think see I think it would be small time, but because they did it first, I think it's acceptable. I mean, honestly, I don't think United are... I think they see themselves as above that as an institution, do. I'll be honest. I would be very surprised if they do that as that tongue-in-cheek, but it'd be f***ing funny if they did. Anyway, <laughs> before we round this off, Paul, yeah, uh, favourite moment that you've seen in the derbies over the last however many years? Uh, um, Pick one out. It would be between the two Rooney goals, the, the, the um, overhead kick... And the League Cup, I'd probably, I'd probably say the League Cup winner because it was just because the atmosphere. I think I'd probably go for that too. I think, yeah, just because of even though what it actually meant was something very small, really, in the grand concept yeah. of things at the time, it felt gigantic. But you know, what the best thing about that night was the city fans were behind us because we were in the East End, so they had the yeah. East End tier too, and obviously we heard them for the entire game. Didn't hear a lot after that, Rooney. <laughs> Weird, that isn't it? Yeah, yeah, funny. All right, Paul, are we done? Anything more to say about this incredible rivalry? Not really, no. Like you say, it's, it's, I think the, the, it looks quite exciting going forwards from a United fan's point of view. But um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it, it's just ever changing, isn't it? Really, but I think mm. City unfortunately are here to stay for a little while yet. Yeah. Oh well. Well, you know, take the good with the bad. All right, mate. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Ewan. Take care, mate. Right, everyone. That's all we've got for you this week. Thanks for joining us, as ever. And it'll be Chelsea getting the same treatment next week. So please keep an eye and an ear out for that in your feeds. Just time to remind you that this week's episode was brought to you in association with the Pitch Sports app, which you can find on both the Apple and Google Play stores. It's running a simulations of the games we're currently missing out on the Premier League on both FIFA and Football Manager. So why not join in the discussion? That's Pitch Sport. And as usual, you can find all the rest of us all over on Twitter. Paul is at PaulGunning1. I'm at Ewan Leonard. And the pod is at Red Voices MUFC. And don't forget, if you so wish, the podcast itself can be found on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on the Apple Podcast app, and Stitcher itself. So uh, we'll be back next week with the second episode, as mentioned, which is going to be Chelsea. That's going to be the topic for next week. And in the meantime, please take care of yourselves. I hope you're all well. Cheerio. Cheerio.